Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business sides behind the scenes of Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Welcome back to our show, folks. I hope everyone had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. You had a blast and celebrated those who have been lost and, you know, had a long weekend. I had a good weekend. I went to a wedding, Paul. What did you do? Also had a wedding. Was back in Philly. One of my good friends. Uh, he's also a good friend, but younger brother of a good friend of mine uh, got married. And this was, I think we're still in the sort of COVID wave of weddings. So the wedding was actually supposed to be in 2020. Got postponed. You know, it was a great weekend, great weather. Good to see everyone. So good times. Yeah, man, it was good. The weather was really great. I was up in Connecticut, like a farm type area. So really, really well done wedding. Uh, very excited. Driving back in the city when you see so much green and then you get back into the grittiness of New York. It's one of those things where I'm like, could have used a couple of extra days. It is nice to be back in the city and get back to work tomorrow. Yeah. The pro tip is to come back on the Sunday and not the Monday, then you avoid all the traffic, but you know, you don't get the long weekend feel. Yeah, and our wedding was on the Sunday, so we had to come back on oh, that yeah. time. I did make the decision, we were competing for after parties on who was gonna throw the after party, and then a group of us decided not to go to the after party and optimize for sleep, which I think in my adult age, I'm making better decisions now, so that was good. I ended up sleeping well, getting in the car and driving back to the city, so. I'm an adult now, Paul. For sure. Yeah, yeah, no question. Speaking of an adult who uh, just passed, unfortunately, Ray Liotta kind of caught me by... I mean, it did. this was a complete out of left field. I just saw the news announced late last week that he had passed away. Super sad. Really iconic actor. Really, man. Gone too soon, for sure. 67 years old. 67 years old. Very young. But obviously, like, we want to do a little tribute to Ray Liotta, so... What are your favorite Ray Liotta movies? Obviously, there's the iconic one, but Goodfellas, obviously. Yes, right. Goodfellas for sure. Guy was a stud in like this guy. Like you look at the guy in Goodfellas, and you're just like taken aback by how beautiful you he want is. to be Ray Liotta. You want to be Goodfellas. <laughs> Earlier part of Goodfellas, not when he's like you know coked out of his mind driving a car and looking for the helicopters. Nobody wants to be that version of the character, but the earlier version of the character, total stud. Maybe this is too much information. So my second 
favorite is actually he was a he was the dad in blow and i thought he did a really good job as the dad in blow that was my second too and then my third is corrupt cop in place beyond the pines which was a super sad movie but i really liked it it's really more about ryan gosling but it was solid flick you know i never saw that movie i've heard a lot about it but funny enough my movie is also a corrupt cop in Copland. Oh, nice. And third being somewhat similar. And I might watch Copland tonight. Like I was watching someone had posted on TikTok and I'm like, oh my God, I forgot how incredible this movie is. Speaking of timeless actors, we got Robert De Niro's Tribeca Film Festival next week in New York, in our hometown. So hopefully we can check it out and we'll certainly do a deeper dive on it next week. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what gets a lot of attention. Con just ended and apparently all the buzz has been about the Elvis movie. Have you heard? Got like a 12 minute standing applause. I don't know if that's just a thing at cons or like these movie festivals, but everybody's talking about this Elvis movie. 12 minutes is pretty that's long. A can you imagine standing up for 12 minutes and clapping? I would be personally, I'd be like, all right, can we sit down or leave? Maybe this movie is pretty badass and excited to see what comes out of Tribeca. And speaking of folks who probably won't be getting a 12 minute applause anytime soon, Amber Heard, the trial has come to a conclusion or at least the trial has ended. We'll see what happens. We'll cover it next week. Cause like, you know, we covered it earlier in the trial period. I think you and I discussed, let's talk about this when the trial is over. The trial's over, but the verdict is not in. So we, we're still waiting to hear exactly how it's going to play out. I think the court of public opinion's probably already made up their mind. It's, you know, I don't know what happens to Amber Heard's career after this, but let's assume that the one movie she was known for, Aquaman, I guess it turns out she wasn't really that much a part of that movie, given that Walter Hamanda, I believe how you pronounce it, head of DC, was testifying in the trial, right? Yeah, so it's funny. This was basically, you know, one of her claims in defamation, as we said a couple episodes ago, you have to prove economic harm in order to, so not only false information that was either written or spoken, heard by a third party, it's got to cause you economic harm. And, you know, in her case, because she's a celebrity, she has to prove actual malice too. And in this case, one of her arguments was that Johnny Depp's response to her op-ed has hurt her career. And one of the things is her role in Aquaman 2 was significantly reduced. And that was because of not her acting ability, but because of the story. And the CEO of WB Studio at that time, he's no longer the CEO, actually was testified. <laughs> it was really funny. He get he went into, it was not like the longest testimony, but he said, uh, no, actually she had no chemistry with Jason Momoa. We were kind of stuck with her. Uh, whatever oh, you see on screen is a result of our tireless editing and not anything that she brought to the table. And we actually were thinking about recasting. So, Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine like you're sitting there and then suddenly that's your big movie moment. And now the person who casted you is like, yeah, we didn't really want you in that movie. Well, listen, I mean, there's this is not my area, as I say, but it's not a great piece of testimony. But the guy's allowed to testify Honestly, right? Yeah, no, for sure. If that's the truth and if it can be corroborated by other people and the editors and like it wasn't a secret to those who were involved in the film, then, you know, it is what it is. And it's not that like this wasn't public support. I mean, there was a petition going around on change.org that people were filing a petition to get her kicked off the second movie and recast after this whole trial went down. So... It's unfortunate for her. Aquaman 2, probably one of the better movies in the DC world in terms of like popularity and people liking it. I personally wasn't one. a fan of it. 
uh, Aquaman one, and so right, Aquaman one. two being one of the bigger movies that's going to be in the DC universe. And if you get recast, like I'd be curious to see how that plays out. Well, I don't think she's going to get recast. I think she's locked into two. One, it was a pretty big success for DC, as you said. Right. And then I think my favorite is Wonder Woman, the first. Obviously, yes, the second agreed. one was uh, a little strange. Oh but yeah, Terrible. no, bad. Strange is, strange is the right word. <laughs> strange is the right word. <laughs> bad result for her. On the other side of the break, we'll dig into some media M&A. A lot of activity and potential activity coming up. Paul, lots of M&A happening right now. A lot of interesting M&A. Kick it off with what you'd like to start off with. We actually, the Better Call Paul podcast had a cross promo with Parks and Recollection, which is a Team Coco podcast. So let's give it up for our boy Conan O'Brien and his company Team Coco just got acquired by Sirius for a pretty big payday, I would say. And so Hell yeah, man. That dude just made 150 million and it's only got 10 shows. I mean, that just goes to show Conan saw the future in terms of like, obviously everything he's gone with TV, but focusing on podcasting and with a short period of time, $150 million acquisition of Sirius for 10 shows and now being, being able to be a um, executive producer. I love, I love Conan. I'm so happy for him. Listen, the economy is a lot of gloom and doom, but as we'll talk about in this segment, I think some people see opportunity when asset prices and equities fall and this is not an investment podcast and it's not investment advice, but when equities fall 30, 40%, like it's got to create some sort of opportunity for people who have dry powder, right, to invest. And in this case, you know, there was a rash of podcast acquisitions like 18, 19, 2018, 2019, Wondery, 300 million tons, uh, Stitcher, yeah. iHeart. Smartless, Smartless had one too, just as another show. Yeah, with Amazon. Yeah, this is great for. I'm a huge fan. Ever since The Simpsons, right? Like Conan is a genius, comedic genius. His late night, The Simpsons, everything, and so SNL. Yeah. He's a writer on SNL. I mean, right. And, and I think the beauty of the show is that one of the biggest complaints about late night is that people only come on for five, seven minutes. They do a quick pitch of whatever they're working on. You don't really get into these deeper dives. But Conan's show, Conan O'Brien needs a friend has these amazing people that we've seen over the years, comedians, et cetera. And they have this hour long conversation with Conan where Conan can just like be himself. And he's so funny. Like the natural comedy that comes out of him is just amazing. When you listen to the show, even his banter between his producer and his assistant, like I could listen to that for hours. He's so great yeah. at it. And now he's working on a sketch show that's coming to HBO Max. So I would love to see Conan O'Brien in a sketch show. I think that would be hilarious. Great for him. Awesome result. And then next up, Paramount Global, the holding company that's owned by National Amusements, which is owned by Sherry Redstone, used to be Sumner, or controlled by. Warren Buffett is now one of the biggest outside investors. He bought up almost $2.5 billion in stock. This was a couple of weeks ago. 69 million shares valued at $2.6 billion dollars. A big move for Berkshire to come in and buy a stake because obviously Warren Buffett's whole thing is long-term investing, investing in people that they want to invest in decades for and that are usually undervalued. Buy low, sell high. Yeah, exactly. And it's also like there's so much competition right now in streaming, Disney, Netflix. Wall Street has taken a right now a short-term dislike to the streaming platforms. The stocks have been going down. A lot of people have been having issues. But if you look at Paramount Global Stock, 
it's been interesting. Like in the last year, they're only down like 20%. And part of that is because after the announcement of Warren Buffett buying $2.6 billion, worth, there's a bump, a 15% bump in the stock. So I think it sends a big message in two ways for Paramount Global. It sends a good message that, well, maybe they're actually doing something or they're just undervalued in comparison to everybody else. And the fact that someone like Warren Buffett comes in and says, hey, I like this. Maybe it's because, again, undervalued, but it's not like they've been doing a bad job. Paramount Plus in Q1 added 6.3 million global subs and they're nearing 40 million subscribers on Paramount Plus, which is actually way more than I thought it would be. Well, that's the thing. Paramount Plus kind of gets maybe forgotten a little bit when you're talking about the sort of top four or five streaming services, like the short list, you know, Disney Plus, Amazon, Netflix, perhaps Hulu, HBO Max, whatever. But Paramount and Viacom have a ton of content, like a ton of it. Comedy Central, MTV, all this stuff that if you're Warren, I mean, listen, Warren Buffett is a great investor and there's nothing we're going to say that sort of negates that. Shrewd guy, right? So he's probably saying, hey, looking at the comps, this thing is undervalued. Let me make a play. And he's got other content companies. He's got Apple, what, Charter Communications, which is the big sort of, you know, cable MVPD broadband. Now they're getting into mobile. Yeah, it's cool because Paramount Plus, I mean, besides the ones you mentioned, MTV Comedy Central, they also have CBS, Showtime, Nickelodeon. It's also interesting. I went on a little bit of a, I haven't watched Top Gun yet. I plan on watching it this week. I hear it's amazing, and I was going through the Mission Impossibles and watching them, and a few of them, and a few of Tom Cruise's movies, if you go on Paramount+, Plus, they're there. And I think it's cool. Like, I see more and more, obviously, some of the hit shows that they have, like Yellowstone, obviously one of the big ones, but they have a bunch of them, like Bar Rescue and Ink Masters, all those reality shows that are pretty cheap to make, but obviously have these, like, really big fans around them. And I wonder if part of the catalog thing is that they don't do so much original programming, at least right now, that's expensive. It's all these catalogs of shows that are like low in cost to produce, but they have wide audiences. And we'll see where they go from there to continue adding people to it. It's interesting to see. I mean, if Warren Buffett's probably looking at a Netflix and it's like overvalued or looking at some of these other things. And and to your point, maybe seeing Paramount Plus and being like, hey, this could be a competitor in the space. And it's cheaper in comparison to all these things. It is. I mean, listen, Netflix stock has fallen significantly. So Who knows, right? Like he knows a lot more about this than I do, but I think the market basically views it as a great sign, right? Yes, it's a bullish sign if Warren is coming and backing you. So good job, Paramount Global doing a good job just like getting their world situated and getting one of the biggest investors in the world to come and back you and set that signal for the market. Let's take a break and let's get back and talk about our main topic, which is Mr. Seth Green got his bored ape stolen and now he can't make his TV show. Okay, Paul, so main topic, Seth Green's Bored Ape. It's Bored Ape number... 8398. <laughs> yes, Bored Ape 8398. So Seth Green has been working on a show, and uh, the show is called White Horse Tavern, or White Horse Tavern, or White Horse Tavern? White Horse Tavern. Yeah, it's named after the bar in uh, New York. In the West Village, which, by the yeah. way, I was just at last weekend with my buddy. Had a great time. I think we had like six or seven beers, just like the old days. He got to escape away from the kids, and we were at White Horse Tavern doing it. But in this case, the premise of the show is kind of live action meets animation. Seth Green's Bored Ape is the bartender. 
I saw the trailer. It recently just aired at Gary Vee's conference, VCon. But part of the whole story is that his crypto wallet was compromised recently from some hackers and he launched a bunch No, no, of like- it wasn't a hack. He fell for a phishing scam. Well, okay, phishing and hacking, kind of similar. I guess. I mean, he participated in it though, right? Like, so he, right, 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 he right, transferred right. Okay. to someone. So he got duped, but it wasn't like he had no involvement in this. Okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, thanks for clarifying. But it wasn't just that board ape. It was a few other NFTs that he had. As these are expensive NFTs, and he's been building a show around the IP on this ape that's a bartender. There's also other collectibles in the show. The trailer looked uh, interesting, I would say. I don't really have any more to comment on that. I actually like the trailer. Did you like it? I like the concept of having real people and avatars interact. I mean, I think it's like Roger Rabbit did this. You know, Dude, and, so, and a great movie. Right. Roger Rabbit, maybe The Mask. Like, it's not unprecedented, but everything no. has to be sort of presented as unprecedented these days. So it's like Seth Green came up with this interesting concept of having people interact with avatars. And I do like the idea that your character on a show has no resemblance to you physically in the real yeah. world. Right? Like, that yeah. concept, I think, could be really interesting because, you know, sometimes animation allows you to have that suspended disbelief. And then there's more sort of real world live action stuff, but combining them together, I think gives you a lot of potential creatively. So I like the concept, but I just, from an intellectual property perspective, being an IP lawyer and entertainment, I think this is a really gray area. Yeah. And I think there's probably four or five, at least legal issues in play. It's like the ownership, right? The yep. NFT, the theft, whether they transferred title because it was a, in theory, stolen. So whether title was transferred validly and even the copyright. So, and and we can discuss all of these, but Bored Ape, Yacht Club, you know, NFTs are basically like tokens on the blockchain that point to digital art or to anything that's digital, right? Could be a music file, could be a video file, could be artwork or whatever, an image. And they can be tied to physical goods. and, And I'm starting to see some of that in some of my, the deals I'm working on, but essentially, they're just metadata. And right. so how can you can't really physically own metadata and the terms of the license supporting or behind that metadata can vary. And one of the things that Board Ape has done for people that don't know, I mean, Board Ape is a incredibly valuable collective of NFTs. Yeah. Owned That's by owned by Yuga Labs. Yuga Labs. And their NFTs trade for a couple hundred thousand dollars at the high end. And But what they do that's really interesting is they say that the purchaser of the NFT has a license to exploit that NFT sort of for non, to display that NFT for sort of personal, non-commercial purposes. And then they also have the right to exploit it commercially. And that's not something that necessarily have to grant because what they really are transferring is ownership and is what I said in, in the metadata pointing to that file, that digital file. But in order to increase the value of the board ape, they're also willing to license you the right to develop that character commercially. Sure. And that, you know, that's probably part of the reason why people are spending a couple hundred thousand or a hundred ether, right, for this. So when ether was five or six grand, I mean, imagine. Yeah. And so that's also why there's so many people that are in there trying to hack and steal these, right, or obtain them illegitimately. But it's interesting to me because let's bring it, it's not a Marvel podcast, but let's say you bought a Spider-Man NFT, right? Like you bought an NFT that was like 
like a 10 second clip of Spider-Man swinging through New York City. Sure. Right? You buy that NFT, that doesn't mean you own Spider-Man. Right. right. It doesn't mean that you can make Spider-Man five or six or seven because Sony's going to send you a letter saying, hey, you know, we have the exclusive film rights to this property. The property is owned by Marvel. Spider-Man is a character that's copyrighted. And so I don't think that's a particularly gray area. But I, the reason I bring that up is because with these things like Bored Apes, where there's literally thousands of them and the differences are very subtle, like one might be smoking a cigarette, the other might have a pierced ear, one will have glowing eyes, another will have a crown on its head or whatever. And so there's some different characteristics among them to make them unique. But is it enough to base a whole storyline off of? I don't know. Well, I think there's a couple things here too, right? Because like for the audience to understand, the bartender, this board ape who's a bartender is the main character on the show, owned by Seth Green. Then it got stolen. And then someone else by the name of Darkwing84 paid $200,000 for it. So Seth Green so is So I got some info on Darkwing. Darkwing84. Okay. I've, I've been <laughs> nerding out on this whole story. Darkwing84 is actually a surgeon in Australia. And after a week of Seth Green trying to reach out to him on Twitter, I think there was a, a publication that was able to get a hold of him. And he said he's open to having a conversation with Seth Green about it. But you're right. He did pay 200 grand. Ostensibly, he had no idea it was stolen. It was stolen. You know, he right. bought it on OpenSea. Like, and, and that's another thing is like the authentication. And what duty do you have to go through the blockchain history of everything that you're buying, right? Like a lot of it, do you shop online? I shop online all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going through. I'm looking for deals, right, to see, oh, is this 10, 20, 15% off or whatever. If, if it's 50% off, I'm likely to buy it if I need it. But I'm not sitting there wondering, is this thing legitimate? Because you have a certain amount of trust in the sites and the platforms that you're buying on. And it's not really on the user to do that diligence. And if something did happen that was fraudulent or stolen, like if your credit card gets stolen or something, you can say, hey, my credit card was stolen. I didn't purchase these things. They give you the money back. In this case, it's like Seth Green. Ideally, you would want OpenSea or whoever and be like, look, obviously this was stolen. We can give this back to you. But unfortunately, they can't do it because now the ownership just switched and you know, written on chain. And now Darkwing owns the rights to it. And I think there's two things that are happening here where one, security needs to be way more enhanced here. And I think a lot of people know that obviously as something grows bigger and bigger in the case with crypto and NFT marketplaces, they need to have terms and conditions that deal with this type of stuff. Because right now there's nothing. Like Seth Green is basically pleading on Twitter for someone to like return his board ape to him. And in this case, if you're dark wing and you just paid 200K, are you gonna give it to him at cost? Like he has to buy it back from you now? That sucks for Seth Green. I mean, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, we could talk about, he could license it back. He could say, hey, if it were super unique, right? So I think Seth Green, and this is not, I know we're, we're talking about sort of the platforms and their responsibility and whether they should implement more security, but just to bring it to the licensing side, Seth Green could either say, okay, I've been working on this board ape since July of 21. I have basically all of this stuff ready to go with the pilot. He could get a different board ape, right? Without the yeah. halo. Yeah. And, and maybe try to do the same show. Or if everything's based on this board ape, maybe he needs to, and if he can't get the ownership back from Darkwing, he could try to sue and say, well, Darkwing, you never had legal title because the scammer never actually purchased legal title. It wasn't a legitimate transaction. That's super gray. Or 
he could license it and say, okay, well, I'll give you 20%. You'll look like a good guy, like whatever the show makes. And that's a business decision, right? How to resolve it. Do you sue? Do you try to do a license? Do you go with a different NFT? Do you just pause the show altogether? But I think that's part of the risk of dealing with NFTs and building a show off something that isn't really that distinctive. Yeah, like why not? Like, okay, part of the reason we're doing a board ape is because there's the community behind it. So like in theory, you're like, let's make this show. There's a community supporting it. I own the IP for this ape. The value grows, et cetera. The community is going to support the early version of the show. But then the risk that you have is now you have this risk of like potential stolen IP or now you don't own the IP. Is it worth even to put the money into developing the show with that original one or now do you get another one? In which case, he still would have to buy a new board Ape or he has to license it from somebody else. So in his case, it's just not ideal. Like either he's licensing it from Darkwing or maybe one of his friends who owns it. But if you're like a network now thinking about NFT-based shows, is it just way too risky now seeing something like this where the IP can get stolen for them to be like, well, why would we invest all this money and then promote it and market the show? Obviously, in this case, it's a bit different because, you know, it's a community focused show, et cetera. But if you're trying to get something to be very, very big and get like Hollywood and these studios to be like, yeah, NFT based shows. Now you have all this like gray area and stuff that hasn't been developed. I think the positive is we'll probably see something happen out of this where it's like, well, what is the solution here in case this ever happens again? Well, you know, we couldn't possibly answer all these questions in one episode, right? A lot of the law is just getting developed as we speak. These cases are not really, there haven't been cases litigated on this issue because NFTs are so new and cutting edge. And the underlying sort of foundations of copyright sort of apply, and but they're not necessarily predictive in this instance because there's no physical ownership, at least with these goods. And it's just evolving so quickly. Jess, actually, my wife had a really interesting take. We were talking about it, and she was like, well, what if this whole thing, the whole phishing scam, was set up just to PR the show? For publicity, 100%. Right. 100%. You know, like, you can't buy... How many stories about Seth Green are written in the NFT sort of trades right. the past right. week? And it's great publicity for the show. And, you know, 200000 small price to pay. Maybe the guy that transfers it back. It's all so anonymous. We would never know. We would never know. And it's also, it's a great point. I, ha I was thinking about this and, I, and, and I'm glad that Jess brought it up because it's like VCon, massive. Gary V's apparently was really successful and he's been a really big proponent for pushing NFTs and now you're airing the trailer and then all like I don't think a lot of the publications would have been like oh like it would have been mentioned right like Seth Green's new show in this case it's like Seth Green got his stuff got stolen he's on Twitter there's so much more awareness for the show now like I'm gonna follow it now I'm curious I watched the trailer because of this before I didn't really care to watch the trailer now I watch the trailer now I'm interested to your point Dark Wing could, for all we know, be Seth Green. Well, and what I'd say is, you know, as a lawyer, practically speaking, and this is not legal advice, but I do an increasingly significant amount of NFT work. It's become a sizable portion of my practice because the dollars, the complexity, it's copyright, it's licensing, and these things are just not clear, but the investment is huge. And I know the NFT market is a lot lower than it was maybe three or four months ago, given just the whole speculative nature of everything. But these issues are not going to go away. Like the concept of what you own, what are you licensing? What can you prevent someone else from doing? What are you able to do exclusively? These things really need to be spelled out via contract because there isn't a lot 
there otherwise. Yeah. And yeah. hacking and the sort of the duties that these platforms like OpenSea have to authenticate and to verify before something is listed. I mean, the nature of the blockchain, it being sort of immutable, you can't reverse these transactions, you can't undo it, and everything's anonymous. Those are what make it, and the fact that it's decentralized, those are what make it unique and sort of the proponents of blockchain technology say that these advantages bring us sort of away from fiat currencies and all the problems that they have. And so lower transaction costs. But we're starting to see, and this is, Seth Green's not the first person to have an NFT stolen. We're starting to see more and more of this. It's like you have to tread with caution because there isn't a lot of legal protection and there's no way to undo these transactions. And like to sum it up too, it'll be interesting because I think one, you're seeing a lot more investment in the space around security. And like there was recently a company that's raised a ton of money around NFT security. And so obviously we'll see more innovation there. I think you got to give it up for Seth Green though. Like taking a risk on something like this, it's pretty cool. I, I genuinely like Seth Green. I mean, robot chicken, family guy, uh, obviously Austin, Austin Powers. Powers. He was great on Entourage. He was great in Can't Hardly Wait. Like, I think he's like a fan favorite. And I think he took a good risk with this. And I think, obviously, it's played out. Whether, regardless of whether, I mean, it's unfortunate it got stolen, but it's being talked about. And I think that's important, like, for him. Like, the show is being talked about. This stuff's being talked about. Well, and he may not be able important. to do the show. He might not be able to do the show. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he'll, he'll probably figure out a way. But I'll tell you, if we were going to make, and maybe we should, Better call Paul NFTs. I would probably have it in a secure wallet that's not on OpenSea. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things that people say is that if you keep your stuff on the platform, it's risky. But also, if you're not like people have their wallets, a wallet is hot if it's connected, it's cold if it's not. I mean, a lot of people take all sorts of steps to make sure their security is really high. I do think that it takes a bit of sophistication to do that and they need to make it easier and easier to do that. And I'm going to, I think we're going to see a lot more innovation in that space. And obviously that just happens with anything. Things get easier, things become more secure, especially as they go more mainstream, but we'll keep an eye on it. To your point. I mean, the whole point of, to my knowledge of having NFTs is to be able to show them off. Right. So right, right, what's right. the point of like, if you can't list them and display them and people can't see that you own it, then like, you know, you paid a bunch of money for, metadata that no one ever sees like what's the point of that yeah. so yeah i'm dark wing right now and i'm sitting like hey look honey uh if he's married and or whatever and it's like check it out our our nft that we just purchased is on a, a tv show or i have a two hundred thousand dollar url on my <laughs> yeah on my hard drive that no one's ever gonna see like right I don't. well we'll see what happens i think um uh, look a lot of good stuff to be following and i hope it works out for him you know nobody wants to see something like that happen people investing their time and money into something that they care about so Hopefully, good luck to you, Seth Green. And again, big tribute to Mr. Ray Liotta. Rest in power. But that's our show for this week, folks. And we hope you have a wonderful week ahead of you. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Paul, what's the Instagram handle? Better call Paul the podcast. Better call Paul the podcast. And we're launching a YouTube show that we'll share more soon. It's going to be clips of this show in a more video with a lot of B-roll and stuff that you guys can watch on YouTube. So we'll keep you posted on that. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez and assistant research producer Haas Nasser. Until next week, folks, be safe. Thank you, everyone. Take care.